News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Welcome to Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. I'm Alan Gilbreth with DarkOakMedia.com. And I'm Maximilian, and may I be the first to say a happy World Octopus Day. Oh, yes! Oh, man, I knew there was a reason Alan was dressed this way. (laughs) (laughs) The Octopus Cosplay. What's what's that, Max? That's that's very interesting. I mean, it just, as the title says, World Octopus Day. Can you get any simpler? I mean, okay, well, we know how Alan's going to celebrate this one, so uh, octopus is now on the menu. There there will be tentacles. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you can call if you want to weigh in and tell us how you're celebrating World Octopus Day. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And uh, I would say it behooves you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and uh, check out the action over there. You should join the page and uh, follow uh, what's going on. I've already posted the must-have item of the week. I already posted a link for... Uh, what we're going to be talking about later today in Great Moments in Building History, mm-hmm. a petty rival. I'm calling it petty. It These, was. I mean, it petty. Was. That's a good know, word for it. A petty rivalry that helped shape the uh, New York skyline. Somehow we keep straying back to New York, Alan. I don't know, but. Uh, well, a lot of stuff happened there, man. What yeah. I mean, look at all the Marvel movies. Everything happens in New York. Yeah. We're going to leave it alone. I'm not going to over-tease this one. But it was, I I think it was definitely petty. And actually, both men got their comeuppance in the end. Justice was served, I guess you could say. Um, If if time permits, Alan, there was a couple of battle wounds that I wanted to uh, (laughs) round out. You know, I'm really enjoying these battle wound uh, segments. And I do think they're useful because... We're not just saying, you know, this is the mm. stupid thing we did. We're giving you advice on how to not do it yourself. Please don't do this yourself. Who knows yeah. how many lives we've saved in our <laughs> battle wound segment. So. If only we could save more lives by you guys not being on the air. Well, you know, sorry, Max. Oh, that's, well. Uh, but that's okay, Max. I got I got one for you. Um, Alan. So, uh, well, hang on a second. Let me, let me dive into one thing with Max. Okay. Since it is World Octopus Day. Do you know who Paul the Octopus is? No, but go on. <laughs> you don't know who Paul the Octopus is? Well, Paul lived from January 2008 to October 2010, and he was the world's greatest predictor of who could win soccer matches. Interesting. You need to look him up. Look up Paul the Octopus, and he went to international fame by being able to pick who was going to win the World Cup series? Did Happy- he live in Vegas or something? Or no, he was over in Europe. He was in a big aquarium over in Europe, and they would give him of two jars <laughs> with the flags of who was playing yeah. and a crab in each jar. And whatever jar he opened first was his prediction. And he beat <laughs> he beat Vegas odds way, way too much. So all I got to say is, Dude, you got to look up Paul the Octopus. Happy okay. World Octopus Day, ladies yes. and gentlemen. No <laughs> kidding. Holy smoke. I didn't know we'd get this much mileage out of this, Alan. This is great. So um, we, we never got to your segment on the IKEA paradigm, which oh. I do want to I do want to talk about. And then uh, we have two science stories there, um, and they both basically involve water. Mm. 
ocean batteries and then pulling garbage out of uh, water. Oh, yeah. You know, great inventions. That's what that's what we need. We have. Uh, I might tell you about my uh, kitchen remodel update because there was actually some breaking news on that. Ooh. We've got lots of other things, and as we say, we would love to hear from you. So you can get in touch with us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline. Uh, call or text at 901-683-0989. Well, Alan, to kick things off, we are going to go to a text. Uh, and this is going to be, I didn't prepare you for this, but this is going to be, right. uh, if Max, if Alan isn't rubbing his hands together by the end of uh, my reading <laughs> of this text, I, I failed. But, uh, hey, guys, I'm growing concern that squirrels are getting into our house. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> In a couple of our rooms, there is a unpleasant smell from time to time, and we also think we hear scratching in the walls. I have no idea where they can be getting in. Can you please advise us? Thanks. <laughs> no name. I guess, you know, squirrels in your house is a little bit of an... Un is this an improvised Critter Wars? I'd, you might have to have it ready, Max. Well, it's funny because I, I sympathize, dear mm. listener, because, man, did I deal with squirrels, and I turned... To my buddy, Alan Gilbreth, and he did help. I, th the good news is the battle can be won, yes. but it's a battle. Please, gentlemen, allow me. Okay. That's the most foul, <laughs> cruel, and bad tempered rodent you ever set eyes on. <laughs> I just wanted a hug. Oh, rats in the kitchen. Just like that delightful movie I taped in the theater. Okay. Good for you, Max. All right. Well, Alan, this is a... Uh, where do we start? Because I, I was going to... Oh. Maybe I thought I could start because I had very similar... Oh, by all means. So, okay. Uh, well, basically, uh, if you've listened to our show for any length of time, you know that at one point I was in a heated battle with squirrels, and it went on a couple of years. It you was, weren't doing well for a while. No. They and, were selling condos. Yeah. they. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that this, if, if it's like any other place in Memphis, there's probably trees. They're probably mm -hmm. running around your roof. I don't know what kind of house this is. We, we have a Cape Cod house, and I will say this. The squirrels were getting in in places you would not think anything could get in. That is you correct. Um, basically, we had, um, before we had our new roof put on by Jay Hill with Big M mm -hmm. Roofing and Remodeling, we had um, some areas of the shingles that unless you just went up there and lifted it yourself, yep. you would not know that those are loose enough for a squirrel to get under. They crawled under the flashing. They dug, mm. they dug a hole. They got into our walls there. They got into the walls, Alan, by those, you know how we have these... Um, valleys that form on your roof you have you know two roof oh, yeah. lines come together they can sneak under there and but you identified it through the smell and these little black streaks that were going up and down mm -hmm. so you know let's let's talk about this sir okay maybe well, we can help this person let, let's so. let's start talking about all the immediate giveaways right um, anything that passes from the exterior of the house to the interior of your house is automatically suspect uh, what and do you I, mean by that? Like, and I'm talking like your air conditioning unit. Oh, Go okay. find your AC unit and see where the refrigerant, you've got a pipe that's going to pass through. Ooh, <laughs> you got to look at that gap really careful because... They don't have can, to have a big gap. If it can get its head through there, and let's face it, they don't have really big heads. No. If the head fits, the rest of the critter can get through that hole. So what you're looking for is what we like to call the rub mark. Ugh. This is just where know you know, a critter now. has to squeeze through and rub through there. 
and eventually they'll rub that area kind of smooth. Mm-hmm. They, if you have a lot of them, you, they leave a little oil behind as you, you kind of squeeze out their fur, and they'll leave a little trails around the edge of it. And the other one they're like, is they're like little dark oily trails, and, and which I didn't expect from a squirrel. I didn't. I, they look sort of clean. They but, are very clean. Okay, but when you like anything else, when you when you pet your cat. If you were to go back and have your fingertips analyzed, you would yeah. have little oils from the cat on your fingertips. Okay. So it, it takes a little traffic to build up the marks. But if you've got the marks, you have squirrel condos. Right. The other thing is go underneath your soffits and look carefully at every corner, every joint. Take a stick with you. Give it a little push. See if it lifts up. Can, can I say something about Absolutely. the soffit? Because a lot of people, you know, the, it, it's funny the vulnerable, the vulnerable areas. You know, mm. squirrels must have a gene in them that they they're just natural architects or something. Because they look at a soffit and they, you know, a lot of soffits that that lower board is only maybe a quarter of an inch thick. Oh yeah, you would think it's a lot more hardy, but mm. it is. And and if if there's any give, they can shove, they can push it up. It's like a trap door. Then they get in, and you have no idea they're in there. So. Once once they figure out the mechanism of pushing their way in, mm-hmm. they have no problem picking it up and coming back out. Right. Uh, which is also the trick they love to do in uh, roof overhangs where oh, the shingles yeah. hang over a little bit. Yep. Well, there's a little spot under there where you can push up on those. And if you think about it, a squirrel can get down in your gutter, push up on that little piece of roofing, and they can just tunnel a hole right through all of it. Uh, you just, yeah. Can I get on the? Can I get on my soapbox, please, sir? If you've got, you know, this listener didn't give us a whole lot of details, but if you've got uh, that, I would say is probably one of the main things I learned. If you've got um, gutters, it, it it doesn't look like it looks like the gutters would keep everything out, but there. And, and sometimes people hang gutters too low. The other thing is, when you hang a gutter, it has to have a slight pitch to it. So, right, it might be perfectly fine over on the right side of the house, but it's as it's sloping downhill, it's making that gap bigger and bigger. And sometimes they don't trim the house out correctly. Sometimes that gap is there's literally. You could lift up that shingle, like Alan was saying, and you'll 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 be able to look at the rafters inside your home. Well, and boom, that's an entryway right I, there. I just so remember when like, I showed you that trick and the squirrel hole associated with it, and you were like, look, it's a highway. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, Once yes, you it see is. it, but, but it's really insidious. You're like, hi. Right. Some some pioneering squirrel had to be the first one to go in well, and try it. As it's you like, said, they're good at what they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gray squirrels are amazing. Of of For those of you who are listening in Great Britain, we do terribly apologize oh. for the uh, duke that introduced them to his garden because he thought they were cute, <laughs> and now they've eaten half of your country. Of yeah, We didn't send them over voluntarily, but, you know, poor Great Britain had these... I didn't know they brought de- them over there. ...had these delightfully polite red squirrels that stayed in their trees and left the humans alone. Oh, and uh, bless their hearts, they discovered that gray squirrels... Don't mind living with you. They'll, oh, they'll, and and of course, and you you think like you think your roof. Can you imagine what they could have done to a three hundred year old thatched roof? I was going to say thatch roof would be open oh, season. That would they be, can just burrow their way in. Squirrel City. Another right. big one that you really got to look out for are seams around things like gables, mm-hmm. picture windows, decks, especially upper decks. Yeah. And then your big one around your fireplace. 
Fire. Yep, yep. That's a that's a and and actually they can you know what we did is uh, we have a fireplace cap like a metal you know mm-hmm. like a scoop that goes over it. I wound up just going nuclear and I wrapped I wrapped it with like chicken wire and stuff yes. so nobody could you know because they may get in the chimney and then there's a breach there and then they get in the wall you just don't know so. and then they're greeted by the cat because you put the cat's litter box in there <laughs> <laughs> well, well that's one yeah. way to deter uh but, so they, just keep in mind they have nothing else better to do right except try to find more comfortable accommodations and humans make very comfortable accommodations here's one other thing i will say don't walk around your house and don't what are the what's the famous saying when you assume Mm. you know we know what happens when you assume things and uh don't go oh well they can't get into that part of the wall because there's a piece of flashing there that that doesn't mean it they may just they they may have figured out how to lift that flashing or how to climb around it or something get a beverage and a chair and if you got a little time go park it in a part of your yard Especially if you're hearing scratching in the wall someplace, mm. go sit outside, give yourself about an hour or so, and just go sit down and observe. And sooner or later, one of them is going to come by. What you're really looking for at that point is a teenage squirrel <laughs> because they haven't quite learned to be as crafty as mom and dad yet. Oh, so they and just follow. They yeah. just kind of like, well, all right, I'm done digging in the yard. I'm going to go take a nap. Right. And you'll watch them climb your house, climb a tree, and they will climb things you will swear nothing could climb. Well, I was going to pick another uh, solution because, Alan, we just bought these really nifty uh, security cameras for our house. Oh, and yeah. uh, the night vision feature is great. I mean, I, I was really impressed with the quality of video. So you, you could easily... Just take this and and point it at the areas you're concerned about, and just go Watch. check the tape the yep. next morning. But um, since we're you know we should we've we've identified the problem, we should give out a few solutions. The first thing is there's really no um. Here's what I would say. I know you could probably call companies to help you deal with this, but I don't think any company is going to care about the problem as much as you are. <laughs> and so what I've mostly found in that situation was they're like, well, we can put up traps. We can do right. this, whatever. And I wasn't necessarily interested in killing the squirrels. I just wanted them gone from my right. house. Get but, out of the um, house. Right. But really, you have to just be meticulous. And I would say, do what Alan just said. Look for the um, look for those streaks and look and, and wherever that smell is coming from, uh, go to the outside wall and just you got to just do some detective work and lift shingles and. And find if, if there's a crack, seal it up. And this is the where, stickier, the better. They right. don't like chewing through that stuff. And then there's another trick that if you have a hole that somehow they're just continually chewing through. Um, we've we've done this thing. You take a really hard, like maybe Bondo or something, mm-hmm. and you mix it with steel wool because yep. they don't like to chew through steel wool. Ooh. So you kind of wad it up and you fill it up with you know. So there's there's ways to. And then of course we know the old cayenne pepper trick. Yep. Paint the outside of the. Uh, area if you're going to paint it throw a little cayenne pepper in there because yeah, sometimes yeah. they don't care they they're they're just going to chew an entrance right in they're going to make it the, entrance, the so. idea is now you have to deter that right and keep in mind you're up against a scent trail that says the squirrel hotel is this way right <laughs> so you know i mean there you know there's a hotel chain that says they'll leave the light on for you yeah. squirrels leave the hole open for you right yeah uh, so now, other critters that you might see this time of year, of course, raccoons. Now, a raccoon, if you get one of those guys dealing with your house, 
you're going to see some damage. Yeah. They are not they are not slick. They are not subtle. They are just rough. Yeah. You may see chew marks on your garbage can. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. So, but, well, f let us know how this works. And, folks, if you've had any issues with squirrels, oh, let yeah. us know please, as well. Please. Because we've, you know, we've dealt with it. This is just. Uh, oh, yeah. It know. is a perpetual battle in the Mid-South. Um, but now, let me, look, real quick, let's shift gears a little. I do want to just mention this because I don't want to bore people with my kitchen remodel update. Mm. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because um, we're we're doing a few unusual treatments. And since we are, there, there may be people out there that are, you know, these are less common treatments, I guess you could say. Well, what we put in last week was um, we put in half of our countertops, which okay. we're going, we're, you know, we've always loved the look of butcher block, you know, nice. now, but okay. we don't like just the plain butcher block. Um, you know, I'm sorry. It's just not, our, we want a little more flair. So we stained it and okay. we're really lucky because um, the first thing we did, you know, I bought some stained samples and um, one, uh, one thing I would say is, we, we probably use our butcher block differently than some people. I know there's some people, they mm. will literally put their vegetables on the counter and cut away or wash away. I, we're not doing mm. that. Right. However, you have cutting boards. So they make food-safe stain. Yes, they do. They make food-safe oil that you put on mm -hmm. there and everything, which we went ahead and did. But um, we were lucky because the food-safe stain, we bought a few different samples, and one of them was just really awesome. It's We put... Okay. Two coats of stain. So we didn't, because I was going to just get a stain that I liked, whether it was food safe or not. I didn't care, Alan. So, um, but we stained <laughs> it up really good. Um, and then we, we started doing the oil. And this is what I wanted to, to ask you about, because this is something we're not familiar with at all. We mm -hmm. the, the, the countertop looks great. It looks really cool. Okay. It's very hard. Okay. The, the color is beautiful. But this oil, you put it on. It's basically, it's like butcher block oil. I right. went ahead and put it on really heavy, and they said, ideally, if you can let it soak overnight, that's the best way. Yes. So I put it on and wiped it off the next day, and honestly, um, and then my wife keeps coming back and putting little bits on there, but even now, we haven't added any oil in three or four days, but even after rubbing it down, there's still this little oily finish on my hands when... So when is that going to go away? <laughs> <laughs> that's the part that I'm not liking. I know it's food safe and it's not going to kill me or anything but uh, no um, but what is that so well all right what you're what you're doing is you're basically filling all of the little holes and gaps in the butcher board mm -hmm. with the oil well i knew that i mean i know i know what it's doing i've just never done because I, I deal with polyurethane and I deal right with, you're like, used to even something that dries yeah something that dries i'm not well, this, used to this never so. completely dries okay. now what you can do is give it a good buffing uh okay what you know, you a big ha big handful of paper towels or a nice light cotton cloth and just really give it a good rub down. And that will get all of the surface contact oil away from you. Okay. Well, I'm, we've, we've been doing that. We get these, uh, my wife bought these uh, really specific towel. I forget remember what they are, but she's got a stack okay. of them because she's, she's like uh, very pretty. She's really excited about these. So. Even after rubbing down, and now I don't want to say it gives you a full, it doesn't get real oily, but it does leave right. a little residue on your right. fingers. And you're putting so. them, you're, you're probably a little too heavy on the oil still. You're you're still new parents. I think this thing's going to take like three weeks to dry, honestly. Yes, It probably it will, right? It is. So, uh, so uh, you know, of uh, like I said, a good buff here and there, and about a month from now, you'll stop noticing any of it. Okay, yeah. Well, my question was, can we put things on there? Because, like, we've got a couple bowls. We were going to actually move the microwave to this one counter. 
Can we do that yet? After 48 hours, yeah, you're you're pretty good to go. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have a butcher block at your house? Uh, or I a cutting have, board se- or I have several butcher blocks, okay. yes. Uh, so a lot of fun with those. Yeah, but you got to, I, I would say too, you know, on the flip side, you got to be careful what you clean it with because you don't want to dry out the wood or make right. it. Right, you don't want to, you don't want it too wet, too long, or you don't want to split or anything like that, but... Uh, butcher block is is beautiful. Of course, it's you know sustainable. Right. Of uh, just absolutely lovely. Okay. Cool. Well, it uh, we'll probably send some take some pictures and stuff. But um, uh, we we were thinking once this is all said and done, we want to have a uh, a nice little dinner party, and we'll probably invite Alan because he can do the cooking. So. <laughs> is that proper etiquette to invite somebody over and make them do all the work? It happens to me all the time. <laughs> don't worry about it. Well, you don't want me to cook. It won't. Cook. I mean, my wife can do the cooking mm. too. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, hey, Alan. Uh, um, when we come back, though, I'm excited because science is. Uh, it seems like it's, it's going to be. Seems like it's going to be very relevant, and it's positive. It's positive science, finally. So, it is. Uh, you're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Okay, you know what? Shut up. News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. I mean. <laughs> That's what we get the minute we turn off the uh, mics over here. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to, uh, to, I don't know what that meant. Anyway, I like that quote. That's what Gary, Sa- who's that guy, Max? It's one from Parks and Rec. His Larry name Feinstein. is Dennis Feinstein. Dennis Feinstein, yeah. Great that, great character. Anyway, welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. Here with my buddy Alan Gilbert from darkoakmedia.com and the ever-rascally Max over there behind the mm. glass. Uh, you can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and check out the action over there. Uh, the must-have item of the week has already been posted. We posted a really good video. It's about 12 or 13 minutes long. All about the uh, story we're going to be discussing on mm. great moments in building history uh, in the second hour of our program. It's a rivalry, a petty rivalry, a really just, you know, grow up, gentlemen, type of uh, yeah, but a rivalry. really expensive A very rivalry. expensive rivalry <laughs> that basically uh, helped form the uh, New York skyline. It's very, very interesting. So, um, and if you... Uh, if you're just tuning in uh, earlier, we were talking about squirrel prevention mm. and um, some some helpful tips. And uh, w- one of the listeners is going through uh, their own squirrel battle. And I got to believe there's a lot of Memphians. Do- I mean, oh, yeah. I wasn't alone in mine. But it, the, the good news, folks, is the battle can be won. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I just want to say one more thing about that, Alan. Mm. Um my uh, one of my wife's friends is, you know, I wasn't in- interested in killing the squirrels. I just want to make right. that, I just didn't want them in the house. Well, they're they had their own squirrel battle going on, and they it was it was probably worse than ours. Their solution was to get these traps, right? Catch the squirrels and then go release them over at like Shelby Farms or something. Okay, I don't see that as a solution. Why, well, they're not why coming it, back. Okay, yeah. they're not coming back, but their twenty cousins are all coming back. You know, it's to me that's like a revolving door. And now you're in the jo- now you have the job of relocating squirrels, and that doesn't sound like any fun. And it just it doesn't sound. I, I think the better option is to just keep them from coming in. Period. So, right, well, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't like that approach. Again, so. when you start talking about the scent trails, yeah. Of the reason you would catch and relocate that particular squirrel is it's already learned where all the entrances and exits are, and it's giving tours. 
Okay, so maybe you know, a combination approach. So, you know, if you're going to have them relocated, of course, make sure it's to an appropriate area. Don't just go stick them in your neighbor's backyard. That's just tacky. Yeah, that's lame. That, and that's, they'll, they'll be back. They'll anyway. be back. Of the, the biggest thing is, you know, whichever approach you take of the idea is you still have to stop them. Yeah. If you leave the door open, if not that one, the next one, as you said, he's got 20 cousins. And they've all got maps. Right. Yeah. And they're going to get back in again. Yep. So anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd throw mm-hmm. that in because uh, in a minute, Alan, we've got a great science story that that, that oh, we're yeah. going to discuss. But before we get to that, I, I just want to close this out. Maybe this is a good closing uh, uh, discussion is uh, I want to talk about our good buddy Jay Hill with Big M Roofing and Remodeling because he was an integral part of my triumph over the squirrels. So. Mm-hmm. You know, among other things, okay. <laughs> you got a whole and, new roofing system up there. I don't know that he, uh, I don't know that the, this is front and center on his promotion of, uh, you know, big <laughs> and roofing and remodeling. But the truth is, your roof is probably the main area that they can get in. I mean, especially if you have an old roof and, and everything. And so, anyway, uh, Jay Hill, once once our new roof went in, it was over for the squirrel. They mm-hmm. packed up and moved somewhere else. So, But um, if you have any roofing, uh, roofing issues, okay, Five stars with the Better Business Bureau, Alan. GAF, Master Elite uh, Accredited Installers. Five yes. hi- five stars with good housekeeping. Uh, Jay says he's never gotten wor- uh, less than a five-star review, which I actually believe everybody oh, yeah, I've ever referred sense. Jay to, you know, he did our roof. We mm-hmm. gave him a five-star review. You, you, I have indeed. You so. have, Brandon Olmstead. I've given his name out countless times, and they're all thankful, and they get then they give his name out. Yes. So, But um, if you have any roofing issues, this is, you need expertise. You need somebody who's licensed and insured. You need somebody who's going to stick around, and if you have any issues in the future, that will be able to help you out. But also, the unique, um, the unique quality that Jay Hill has is he is a former insurance agent, which is critical because uh, the roof is one of those areas of your home that you it may qualify to have uh, the replacement or th- at least the repairs uh, covered by your homeowner's insurance. Correct, and that um, that <laughs> that is not an easy thing to navigate. I mean, uh, we, no, 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 this is a whole different language. And you need an advocate. Really, it does come down to almost like he's serving the role of kind of like a lawyer. He's representing mm. you. He's getting you all of the things you're entitled to. And he knows the uh, he knows um, all the protocols. He knows who to call. And uh, he makes the process actually really fun. You know, basically, mm. when he showed up at our house, it was like, OK, this is done. Now start picking colors. Yep. We'll be here in two weeks to replace your roof. You know, it's that it's that fast. It's that it just takes a man. It takes a load off your mind. And and um, you know, if you don't qualify for a, a replacement, maybe you just need a new roof. Um, also, there's financing. The guy yes, he's, he has thirty different lenders. So any no matter what your credit score is, some there's going to be a lender that you can uh, qualify for. You know, to uh, get it replaced. And also, he loves unique remodeling projects because the two kind of go hand in hand. Especially if the roof did a number right on that back room, and it's and you have to you know gut the room and make yourself a. We have had some pretty good storms. Right. So uh, get in touch with our good buddy Jay Hill. You can call him directly at 901-484-5645 or go to bigmroofingandremodeling.com. Um. All right. Uh, Alan, it's time to talk a little science. Hail science! 
And these are both, you, mm-hmm. you sent me these, uh, and these are both positive stories as far as I could tell, right? So right. which which way you want to go? You want to talk power or you want to talk trash? Uh, we talk the, pattern, the power first. Let's talk power first. All right. Well, reusable and renewable energy is, let's face it, as you and I have said many, many times, whether you like it or not, it's the future. Yeah. We got it. We got to figure this out. And Re- renewable in the sense of, we're not dig- my big thing is always like digging holes and pulling out things from the earth. But that's a is, finite resource. It's a fine right. There's it, only so much oil to run we're out have. At There's some only point. so much coal. There's yes. gonna, so we want something like solar. Boom. Uh, I mean, if the sun runs out, we've got bigger problems anyway. Uh, so there's like- a, yeah, you, the, <laughs> so, you know, you kind of you kind of right. need to be a little interstellar by then. Yeah. All right. The problem we have always had historically is how to store energy. Hmm. That's that's the improvement that's the that we're seeing. Battery power storage is what's well. If you think about it, coal is stored energy. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, if you think about it, oil is stored energy. Right. It's just how we release the energy and then the aftermath of it. So here we go. Uh, we know that ocean motion is energy. Pretty yeah. much everything going on around us is energy. Wind is energy. Solar is energy. It's just how do you tap into it? And now what do you do with it? Right, right. Now, you and I are huge advocates of the upcoming house batteries. Oh, sure. Because several other companies are getting into this. Yeah. Once they perfect that, once they can make it clean and efficient, that's the game changer right there, the house battery. Because then, you know, folks, if you're new to Tool Talk Radio, the basic idea would be just probably like somewhere in the center of your home, you have this battery, Mm -hmm. probably four or five feet tall, maybe a few feet wide, something like that. And it's going to be, uh, as it charges up, it could be charging up just um, by your use and or it could be charging up from solar or something. Once that thing's fully charged, you you don't need the grid right then. You, could, you can exactly tap out of the grid for eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, just like you do with your laptop computer. And once the battery's charged, you unplug and you run off the battery. Well, that's what's that going to do to your utility bill? It's going well, to cut free it in, to go. in half. It's going to maybe make it a third. You might, and if the power goes out, you've got this backup battery system. Okay. You may even get so efficient, you don't need the grid. That could also happen. Now, Of let's let's talk about water motion for a little bit. We, you know, okay. we have for hundreds of years used water motion, and I'll look at like a grinding wheel. Didn't think the Dutch your, start that? It, well, think like your your. Your uh, quintessential mill. European medieval with the uh, grinding mill next to the stream with the big wheel right. turning around and all that. Yep. Well, folks, that was energy. Sure. Uh, is, I mean, you, if we think about it, that was just water power. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have hydroelectric dams and that kind of stuff. Sure. Picture putting one of those on the bottom of the ocean. Right. Yeah. Well, so this is this is kind of where we're headed. Here's what I saw because Alan, there's not. It seems like there's a few groups getting involved in this, and so basically there was a. It, it's at the bottom of the ocean is where they store it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you don't have to look at it for one thing. It's not like an oil rig floating out on the ocean, uh, right? You know, that you got to see. Uh, but um, what was story? What was pretty cool? It was. A, it almost looked like this big floating kind of raft thing. It was flexible though, and every time the ocean, uh, every time a wave moved through it. It kind of activated like a little piston. It just sort of was a rolling, continual motion, and every crank of that wheel was generating electricity. Absolutely. And then it was storing. I'm like, okay, it seems very simple, but 
I feel like well, the best technology is simple. Well, you know, the, it, we're going to stick with Scotty and say we don't want to complicate the plumbing. Right. right so. <laughs> Uh, so a Dutch startup company called the Ocean Grazer yeah. is coming up with this idea that we could take and put a basically a battery storage system on the bottom of the on the bottom of the ocean, shallow water near your wind turbine farm or your solar farm or whatever you're you're doing, your wave action farm. Right. And this would basically act like a concreted in reservoir for your power. Uh, I, I got a question, and, yes. I, and I, it didn't occur to me, but you just made me think of this. It's like, okay, well, one advantage of it being underwater is you don't have to look at it. You don't have an ugly uh, whatever power thing there. But another thing that occurred to me is it keeps it cool. There's probably use mm -hmm. in keeping something from overheating or something, you know. I don't know if there's mechanics. I, I don't know what the salt water does to it, if that if that's well, an issue, but, you know. Well, you know, depending actually, on what you make it out of. So. Of part of the way this works is it has a huge bladder that is filled with fresh water, uh, which is at a much lower pressure than the salt water okay. that's encased around it. Okay, gotcha. So now we have, just like you were talking about your wave, you now have the ability to create motion. Right, okay. From a high pressure to a low pressure, vice versa. So this reservoir can be used to basically move the water back and forth. And the moment we have motion, we have energy. And it's it's pretty continual. This is pretty I mean, simple. oceans don't just yeah. go flat. They just, they're continually moving. Wait, I saw one that they had it set up. Now, I don't think I like this because they had one that was set up right at the beach, you know, somewhere. And right. it was catching because when the wave comes in, I think it was somewhere in Australia. It's it's that's a lot of energy, but you know that's kind of ugly too. I don't want to you know the the, right. the steady one out in the middle of the ocean seemed like a better option. So, well, and but. you know, but here we go. Now we have a consistent source of motion, consistent source of energy. So, as the grid needs power, we could ratchet these up or down depending upon what our needs are. So if we got a really beautiful day like today, it's sunny, it's gorgeous, we got a light breeze, so everybody's solar would be cranking. Right. But the temperatures are very pleasant. Sure. You know, we're in the, you know, for those of you listening in the Celsius world, we're in the 20s. For those of you in the Fahrenheit worlds, we're in the 70s. Right. It's a beautiful 70s is the day. perfect, it's, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful out there. So we wouldn't be using a ton of power. Now, a few weeks ago when we were cranked up to about 100 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah, uh, everybody's air conditioner was running and we were burning through power as fast as it could be made. So these type of setups gently give us backup power that really actually doesn't depend on the sun per se. Well, you know, all of these things, because I hear the arguments out there, Alan, I'm, I'm always hearing it. It's like, well, you know, I, I, I see these posts and they're always uh, yes. ripping like electric vehicles. It's like, well, you know, uh, they're not as, uh, they're, they're not perfected yet. I mean, a lot of these things to do with like backup mm -hmm. power or this new technology, it doesn't come right out of the gate you know, as efficient as it will be. But the idea is to to start steering in that direction because this this thing that today is the backup power may be the main source of power in the near future. And man, if it's cleaner and if it's if it's just basically relying on on nature and, and the the movement of the ocean, I'd say I would say 
if the oceans stop moving again, we have bigger we have problems, problems anyway. Right. So it's like I think we can kind of count on. Uh, I, we point, can count on the sun. We can count on the movement of the ocean. We can probably count on wind in yeah. certain parts of the country. I have. I think it's great. Man. Well, I'm going to give you a slight analogy here uh, as to how technology changes and improves. Mm -hmm. Of you are the world's greatest builder of violins. Okay. You make the world's finest violins. Does that make you the world's finest violinist? Oh, now that's a very good. Yeah. Very good point. So, you may not you know, be able to play a note, man. Yeah. I'm pointing out that a lot of the companies looking at these technologies are looking at them as a development. Right. They're solving amazing problems. And I find it very funny that what is new probably was old because the ideas of using a form of high to low pressure to create energy. Mm -hmm. We've been doing that for centuries in a forge with a bellows. Right. We yeah, create pressure. You know, folks, that's moving energy. Right. And so, I mean, when you really think about it, moving energy and creating energy is actually pretty shockingly simple. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be watching this one with great interest because uh, there's a few companies working well, on it, yeah. which is good because then I think anytime there's competition uh, that everybody's game, you know, they step yep. up their game and it always uh, works better. So there's a little variety out there. So I'm looking to see what the, what the concerto, what the next genius at applying this technology uh, comes up with. Yeah. I mean, the the simple thing is to just look around the world and say, what are our consistent things of, what are consistent areas of motion and what are some consistent things that are generating power? And you got wind, ocean, you know, movement, the sun, there's probably other, you know, wind currents up in the air uh, where, you know, where airplanes fly. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that, that's some serious wind up there. I, I don't know. There's a lot of things we can tap into. Just got to use use our imagination. Yeah, just, so. you know, and, and relax a little bit and know not everything's going to be perfect on the first round. Right. But it's going to constantly get better. Um, okay, Alan, tell us about this trash wheel because this, oh, uh, this is on the other end of the spectrum. Well, this is cleaning up a mess. But uh, Well, you know, talk about – now, we've been talking about a variety of devices for a very long time. We've been talking about picking up the trash for years. Well, it, it, there's that rumor that there's that that big wad of plastic out in the middle of the ocean. No, that's someplace. not a rumor. No, I know. It's, <laughs> it's well, not a rumor. It, they're debating: is it the size of Texas? Is it the size of what? It's pretty big. It, it varies it's a, a little problem. bit. Yeah. And the problem is that it is microplastic. So if you float out into the center of the Sargasso Sea, where this is sitting, and you looked for all of these plastic bags to be floating around, right? They're not. It's a different type. But if but you get a glass of water and throw a magnifying glass on it, you're going to see millions of tiny little particles that have been ground down by the act of the ocean, the waves, the sunlight, and all that. Right. So it's creating a microplastic problem, which is a real problem because those microplastics are starting to show up in us. Well, because the fish eat them, and we eat the we, fish, and yeah, there you so, go. We're becoming so uh, androids. Let's, so. uh, well, I'm already part <laughs> android, so it doesn't matter. Uh, all right, but what if we just got the stuff to not get in the ocean to start with? Right, yeah, that's a better solution. Let's just not put it in the ocean. So, so here we go. Uh, there are a lot of different ideas, and this latest one I loved because it was a 52-foot-long robotic for lack of a better word, a trash wheel. Yeah, it this it, thing looks like something out of a steampunk invention. Yeah. It's great. 
So what it has is it has uh, a two lead-in funnels, like you like a corral, like a boma, like okay. you, like you see on the Discovery Channel when they're trying to catch animals. <laughs> so they have these things that will guide the like floating Alan's backyard. Trash. Well, yeah. you know, you okay. Yeah. Uh, so the trash is coming down and winds up funneling into the boma, and this thing is solar powered, and it has this great big scoop, so that. The critters and stuff you don't want can fall out of it, but the plastics say, and you things you do yeah. want are scooped out of the water and sent off to recycling. So, wait a minute. So, it, it gathers it. I, I was going to say, how do you not scoop up the fish? Although, I would hope that a lot of the fish are going to swim away from this thing as it's coming through. But uh, it, well, they, They've even added, well, they've added camera systems and identification points to make sure we're just picking up the trash. Okay. You know, we don't want that sea turtle to go for a free ride. Right. You know, so we, we want the organics to stay out, but we want the plastics to come on. Um, the problem with plastics is, of course, they're not magnetic or something, which would make things very easy. Sure. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we've got to get a little imaginative here. Now, are these in the ocean? Or are these in rivers or lakes? These or? are currently in the rivers before it gets out into the ocean. Oh, good. Okay. And they're kind of off to one side where the natural eddies gather the trash anyway. Okay, is this trash coming from just people littering? Because yes. you know, littering is yes. one of my pet plain peeves, and simple. especially especially plastics. That's yeah, like, plain and simple. Yes, it that's is just the bigger urban issue. Waste. Can you just solve just people well, not littering? It's yeah, like, you know. but we're just going to leave this in the stuff happens. Yeah, and if it does happen, we now have a wide variety of different kinds of mechanisms to help catch it, clean it, and get it out. So it so, gathers it up, and then it sends it off to be recycled. Well, it has a big storage cabin in the back where the plastic goes, and then they come pick it up, and off it goes to the re be recycled. Huh. It's uh, and, and it's a 52-foot wheel. That's pretty. That's a pretty big diameter. It but. is, and keep in mind that the lead-in trays go out for hundreds of feet yeah. around it. So it cleans a very wide area and being positioned downstream in the river mm -hmm. means the river does the gathering for it. I was going to say, you could probably find the strategic points where the where exactly. things swirl around and they really, because that's the one, I guess, good thing is with water currents and things, it's not going to just be uniformly across the top. It's probably going to swirl around and go over to well, that corner over there. And, well, you know, and well, whatever. So that's exactly like, correct because in some of these cities, because of some of this that they're looking at doing these in is over in Asia and Africa. And when you are at the bottom of an urban area going mm -hmm. out to the ocean, some of these eddied areas, these little embankments going back in towards land, honestly look like plastic dumps. Right. They're just completely full of... Yeah urban trash that has blown into the river. So by having these kind of catch systems, they're honestly removing tons of plastics before they have a chance to break down and wander out into the ocean. Huh. Well, well, we'll be following this one with great... How many companies are working on this one? So. Uh, there are actually quite a few around the world. Uh, this particular company that I was looking at is uh, on the Nairobi River. They're right there in Africa. Okay. And... So, but when you look at the sheer amount of the garbage that comes down, especially India, China, Africa, uh, it's staggering, the amount of resource. Now, because they're recycling it, 
basically this bad boy is picking up a free resource that we were completely wasting. See that that's the that's the the key. It's like you got to find a way to make this uh, you know financially. You got to give people financial incentive to uh, to do this. So basically, you're looking at this as yeah, plastic. Well, now we've got a resort. Maybe they'll make tires out of it. Or so I, I don't know what they'll make, but they can make something out of it. Oh, well, one of our favorite things is they make really good paving bricks. Uh oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of products that can really make use of multi-use plastics. Yeah. Pretty pretty cool. Um, I I just wonder. Um, man, you just wonder. Uh, if they if they can crack this one too, this this is another one. The I, I will say this though, the one the one um development that I feel like would solve a lot of this are those biodegradable plastics you've been talking mm -hmm. about. Because if we get to that, I think that's the other thing. You know, maybe you don't need this big wheel. You just you get biodegradable where you just bury it or you throw it. You know. Well, I think we're gonna wind up with kind of a D. All of the above. Right. I mean, we certain still have to clean products, up the mess now. Yeah, but, certain yeah. products will work best with a certain type. Other products may need something more durable and will need a way to recycle that. Yeah. So, um, but that pretty, pretty interesting stuff, Alan. So, um, well, I don't want to start any new stories yet, Alan, because uh, we're, <laughs> we're winding up. But uh, let's, let's set the table for the next uh, segment. How about that? We're going to, uh, when we come back, we've got great moments in building history. Uh, our must-have item of the week. And also, you're going to talk to, in honor of Halloween, you're going to say, no, your house is not haunted. It's yes. Just <laughs> we'll get into that one. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. Hour one is in the can, but stay tuned for hour two. News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. And welcome to Hour 2 of Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and uh, our pal uh, Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And uh, we invite you to go to uh, Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and check out the action over there. There's a, a video that we posted that we're going to be uh, about a topic we're going to be discussing shortly in our great moments in building history. And I posted the uh, must-have item of the week. And, um, Alan, let's just get to that quickly because you know Alrighty. this this great moments in building history is going to be a lot of fun but uh let's uh let's let's get this out of the way so tell people what i'm holding up you are holding up one of my favorite tools ever it is the three inch flat wedge or uh scraper if you want to call it that and it is for beating the bejesus out of tile it looks like a scraper until it it start, looks like a putty knife. It looks like a putty knife until you try to bend the blade and it's yeah, it, it doesn't it ain't bend. It's, <laughs> and, and then you're like, hmm, why is there a big? It's got a nice chisel edge to it, so it's also called the three inch flat chisel. Right, and why is there a metal knob at the back that you so can you whack can with bang it? it with a hammer? Because I'm not doing any scraping with this, Alan. Mm -mm. This thing, and, and I'm not doing any spackling with this. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, I just uh, bought a. You know, these. I will say, you know, these. I, I've destroyed a few of these in the past, you know. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, so this is about a three-inch blade. This whole thing, you know, it's it's very, it, I will say it's real comfortable to use. But um, this baby, I'm using it because I think I mentioned that now, among other things, I'm gutting um, a couple of bathrooms. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, 
there's quite a bit of tile. The, the floors are tiled. There's a lot of right. the walls are tiled, things like that. And so I need something that's um, – because I've got a pretty hardy um, – crowbar and a pry bar but right. that's too thick like that doesn't like to get under it doesn't the get under that edge right into right. the thin set you need ju- and then and then of course a regular scraper is too thin and you mm-hmm. can't smack it with a hammer i've i've used the those five-way tools sometimes right. but those bend in the hand they're not you know they can't handle it as well, well either they're designed to be a multi-tool they're not designed to take the abuse that is but this flat edge folks it's it's amazing i've been knocking out tile i want to say this is this on the floor it's 16 inch by 16 inch squares of tile so that that alone is challenging so mm-hmm. this baby man you get under there and if you get this blade about halfway under right. and you give it just the right kind of lift it pulls the whole tile out it'll I've just broken, snap it right out of there i've broken some in half and then of course the uh shower tile is this uh man it was a pretty ugly it's this ugly 12 inch by 12 right. inch uh square tile it's still pretty thick, and this thing takes it off in one whack. Oh, yeah. you, you hit it two or th- you know maybe one or two times, and boom, it takes it off. But it, man, Alan's always talking about the proper tool for the proper job. Oh, and yes. if you've got some demolition work, you don't always need the sledgehammer. You don't always need mm-hmm. you know the massive crowbar, or pry bar. No, nope. sorry, Max. It's uh, you know sometimes you need a little finesse. This was I'd say this has the the, the right balance of finesse and uh, destruction. Yeah, yeah, just sheer demolition power. Uh, so, oh. There is something about, and, and this is just one of these weird things, if you've never done tiling before mm-hmm. and you're trying to get rid of some tile, you have one of those and you just get it right under that edge of the grout and just start tapping it in. How fast and easy it will separate. And it's, what, what, what you felt was completely concreted in forever. Right. With the proper tool, an hour later... It it is like destruction therapy. It's it's very oh, yeah. you feel so much better, and it's it whatever you wanted dead has been destroyed. Yeah, and and uh, one of those it's one of those things though. Please, if you're removing tile, man, I cannot stress enough: wear gloves and gl- safety glasses. Don't and don't just rely on okay, well, whatever. Oh. You, you got to protect your eyes because little micro, you know, very thin little bits of uh, I'm going to throw in knee pads. Yeah, eye protection. Full face protection, to be perfectly honest. If you got a face shield. This isn't a bad time for a face shield. This is not a bad time for a face shield because uh, this is just one of these cases where the darndest things can fly up into Mm -hmm. the air and ricochet. And you and I have always talked about for years, about 30 years of stupid. Oh, yeah. And this is where you can truly discover what somebody forgot, didn't do. There's there's a penny under there. There's a, <laughs> a hair clip, maybe an old straight pin, or you know, you have no idea what's underneath there. You you just remind. You, you, I didn't mean to talk about this, Alan, but as long as you said it, I there's a a growing trend out there, and I am one hundred percent behind this trend. This is a little segue, but mm. um, there's this uh, there's a lot of uh, practical jokers out there. Like for example, they're putting in kitchen cabinets. Oh yeah, and you have that dead space in the corner between these like kitchen cabinets. Hiding the Halloween and, skeletons, and they're putting like a, a Halloween skeleton. Oh, yeah. it, you know, wearing like workman clothes or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that I in thirty have, years, when no, they, I, no idea what you're talking about, Joe. So in thirty or forty <laughs> years, when they when they open up that that hollow space, or they you know you open up that wall, yeah. you find these. Uh, oh, you know. That's, yeah. Well, all right. And ladies like and gentlemen, that. if you're going to do something like that, please put a note on it that says just joking. <laughs> so, 
Somebody doesn't have you arrested for murder well, when that, you're 80. That's no fun. You got to, <laughs> you know, but uh, but I think hide some stuff. You know, why not put a little Leave note? Leave a message. I was seriously thinking, Alan, because we were doing some sheetrock work, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to leave a little time capsule in there? Or just a little note to mm. whoever finds this. I might start doing that just for kicks. Why not? Have a little fun. I, you know, actually, I have uncovered those yeah. working on some buildings out west mm -hmm. uh, that had been there since, like, the 1880s or 1890s. So whoever built it actually did, like, a signature wall. Sure. And then mudded over it and went on, and it was... You know. uh, 90 years later, we're replacing it with uh, gypsum. We're putting in sheetrock. Right. And, you know, you open it up, and here were all the signatures of everybody that built the built that building in 1880. Um, it was kind of cool. You know, I here we go. I didn't. I did not mean to talk about this, but one fun, one way uh, all of us have, like, old phones laying around. It, it's funny how the cell phone we had only 10 years ago looks like an antique. Oh, it looks yeah. like a dinosaur. Yeah. Well, wrap it up, stick it in the wall, and leave a little note. You know, people would, wouldn't that be cool 100 <laughs> years from now? They're like, you know, this is a primitive communication device yep. that we've, <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be fun. So, Well, you know, bizarre things have been found in walls. Everything from antique glassware, uh, soda bottles, and that kind of stuff, to sure. uh, I own, actually own several over 100-year-old tools oh, yeah. found in the walls of, you know, job sites where it got accidentally left 100 years ago. Yeah. Did you see the skeletons of the workers with the tools? <laughs> yeah, that's the Winchester house. Yeah. All right, that, that's, that's someplace different. Anyway, well, I, it was just a little thought that occurred to me when you were saying that, Al. But, yeah, I think that's a lot. Have some fun. Come on. You know, do yeah. do future generations a favor. Make it, you know, make their life interesting. So <laughs> um, that could be a movement, you know, maybe just, you know. Time oh, yeah, that, 40 years from now on the DIY shows. And let's see what they left for us behind here. I think that could, honestly, yeah. if it became something like that, then it would just be a, it would be standard uh, politeness. Well, they didn't, you know, they they need, you know, what did they leave behind or something like I'm gonna that. I'm going to leave you a box of Mylar balloons so you can celebrate renovating your kitchen. There yeah. you go. All right, I guess we've gone on enough. <laughs> hey, uh, in a moment, we're, we're going to get to our great moments in building history. Before we get to that, though, mm. I don't know if Larry's ever tried that maneuver. You know, our good buddy Larry Brown with Brown Refrigeration, maybe that needs to be something they start considering. Inside the uh, HVAC systems, why not? You know, put a little time capsule in there. So, well, they got little stickers that say "Brown Refrigeration," so uh, right. that always makes me happy to see that. I'm so. going to ask him about his 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 idea with that. But anyway, mm. if you have any HVAC needs, if you have a uh, you know heating and air conditioning, is as we say, it's sort of the lungs of your home. Yes, I guess it's um it's important to have clean air. And in fact, probably later in the show, we're going to be talking about why mm. it's important. You you have to have air that's conditioned. You yes. have to have air that is um. Not only uh, clean, it, it's not only clean air, but it's cleaning like we like uh, you get with the uh, Remy Halo system, which hey, is still a really hey. it's another basic concept that F is revolutionary. Flu season is coming and something that would eliminate the bacterial and uh, other organics in your air. Right. That is a great idea. And you know this, Alan. You go someplace. We've been to places where the air is not clean. Oh, You've been boy. in a building or something. And it's like, oh, man. But then you go into these homes or some place where the air is obviously really good air quality. And, man, you know, 
we are breathing. It's just like you need to eat healthy and drink healthy. Well, you need to breathe healthy. Yes, so you do. The healthier the air is in your home, the the better off you are. So, um, and they do it all with Brown Refrigeration, and they also uh, you can manage all of it with the smart home technology that they have. So you can have an app on your phone and, and set your thermostat and and set and uh, monitor your system and and keep it mm-hmm. as efficient as possible. And of course, they have a great business culture over at. Uh, Brown refrigeration. They answer their phones. Yes, they so do. I could name some names out there. I'm not gonna, <laughs> but uh, they, and uh, great customer service. Great and and um, everybody uh, from the uh, the pe- the people that work in their office to their technicians. It's just top quality. Uh, Larry Brown demands excellence. You know, from top to bottom, and and that's what you get with Brown refrigeration. So if you have any HVAC needs or clean air needs, give them a call. You can call directly at 901-362-1881 or go to brownref.com. All right, Max, hit it. And now, great moments in building history. So, Alan, I got a text about this the other day. Mm. They they have they think they know who that mysterious voice is. <laughs> <And> um, uh, <laughs> they thought it was Ewan McGregor. Mm. They, somehow they thought we had a budget to hire Ewan Hello McGregor. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> One day, if you've got any thoughts about who that mysterious voice could yeah, yeah, be that I introduces can't imagine. it. Um, anyway, so, all right, great moments in building history. This was a little confusing. I got to admit, Alan, halfway through the research, I said, wait a minute. I was confusing the I was confusing 40, 40 Wall Street with the Empire State Building. They kind of right. look similar, whatever. But Well, um, they are designed right in the height of Art Deco. Right. So, so that, that's going to be the style. Yeah. So both of them were, both of them were uh, thought of at the same time for the same reasons, kind of with the same idea done by drastically different people in drastically different areas. Okay. So let's, let's, let's set the table. So we're, we're looking at right now we're in the 1920s. We're in New right. York. We're in the roaring 20s. Everything they don't happening. know about what's coming nope. in the next decade nope. and everything. But uh, there were two business partners. They actually um, they were they started off as business partners. There was um, mm-hmm. William Van Allen, who you yes. would say he was more of the artistic wing of the. Uh, you know, he was a really uh, talented um, uh, architect, and he leaned into the artistry. And then right. um, Craig Severins was the or uh, H Craig Severins. I don't know what H stood for. Was the he was the hardcore businessman? He was all about making the company profitable right. and everything. And you you kind of need both in a in a thing. However, balance. Both of them had pretty strong egos, as a lot of people do right. in those situations, and they couldn't. They just butted heads. You can't have you know, you don't have two captains on a starship, Alan. There's a reason for that. You don't uh, have a, yeah. You don't. It, each person has to be in their lane, you know. But apparently, they just finally went their separate ways, and apparently. The breakup was a little contentious, and they yes, soon became rivals. And mm-hmm. uh, so, basically, William Van Allen was uh, commissioned by Cry- the Chrysler Corporation, right. which is named after a guy named Chrysler. <laughs> uh, well, that would be Walter P. Eager. Chrysler. That would be the man who privately financed the entire thing. Well, if you look at what this building was supposed to be, so the Chrysler building is that, I'm sure you've seen it, folks, it's that kind of art deco, it's got a real pointy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, top and everything in New York, and um, 
it was basically you can almost say it's a shrine to Chrysler about all his achievements and I everything just remember he's accomplished. A ra- I just remember a random line from The Simpsons about the Chrysler building. This is the only reason I know about it is like <laughs> Mr. Burns was talking about all his relatives, how they died, and one of them said was impaled on the Chrysler building. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it looks like a monster could easily be impaled on this thing. I mean, it has got a, uh, it's it's got this spire that um, I oh, want to say. there was ego involved in this. It's 180 way. feet tall. It's a vertex. Don't, well, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves there. But anyway, simultaneous. So he got commissioned by Chrysler and, and, and Chrysler was all about making this not a cookie cutter building. He wanted right. style. He... Some people of the day called it tacky. I think it's a pretty cool looking building. I mean, well, I'm not going to lie, at but the time it was built, it was um let's just say it was tacky. It, it probably was. So and then okay, so then across town or you've got um a bunch of uh what is it called? The uh, Manhattan Group over right. on 40 Wall Street, which that's the heart of it, right? Isn't that the heart of the financial district? This mm-hmm. is all about the you know, stock trades and everything like that. And we're talking the Roaring Twenties, so they needed a big edifice, and they wanted to build 40, 40 Wall Street's a pretty boring name. I hate to say it. I mean, couldn't you come up with something? I think they had a few nicknames for this building, but basically they went to H. Craig Severance. Now, that that was the hard-nosed businessman. Right. And both, but but they were both commissioned. So Chrysler commissioned William. He wanted this building to be artistic, but he also specifically said i want this to be the tallest building in the world yes well i guess uh the i guess the 40 wall street crew heard about this and they said we want this building to be interesting and functional but we want this to also be the tallest building yes in the world. and that started the whole race alan so here we go <laughs> <laughs> and you have to wonder did they each i mean scuttlebutt gets around i'm sure they each knew they were competing for the tallest building in the world, right? Well, I mean, not only were they competing for the world's tallest building, they were also competing for resources. Because oh, good both point. I mean, they got to hire people. They got to buy exactly. materials. Gotta, there are only yeah. so many people that hung iron, and there was only so many suppliers that could supply the amount of iron they had to hang. And you have to wonder, people are like, what? Because at the, at the time, I want to say, I was looking up the... Uh, uh, highest building at that time, and I want to say it was like 500 and something feet tall. Well, what they were each proposing, what's ironic is each of them proposed a 67-story building, and they each came to 80, 809 feet tall. Well, that's yes. pretty, that's a lot taller. So you start wondering, our architect, I mean, our workmen, like our foreman and these people going, geez, I don't want to work on that. That sounds sounds dangerous you know this is before skyscrapers were a thing this is still pretty new well i mean then again you you flipped the script on that and you had uh native americans who did not have the inner ear issues that a lot of europeans did so they didn't get dizzy in heights oh that's interesting i didn't know that so you 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 have when you start talking about the competition between these two building projects right you really cross a lot of lines right because you have the very competitive boroughs in new york you know who gets they are what. almost like their own little countries they're they're yeah. like little fiefdoms yeah, you have over here is yeah over exactly yeah. and you also have the fact that this was walter p chrysler Right, and this, this guy had was a an man ego. building car. Yeah, dude, he had an ego to go with all it. Yeah, well, we can say he had an ego, but 
he was privately funding the building of the world's largest building. Yeah. So yeah. he had some accomplishments to go with that ego. Yeah. Well, and, and he was, to quote uh, Jurassic Park, he was sparing no expense. Well, the thing is, what's interesting about this race is, okay, so we're talking 67 stories, 809 feet tall. Well, okay, they each heard about this. And um, I, I, I really, it's it's very curious to me. People talk, people know each other. They probably thought, hey, we know these two guys are at each other's throats. Right. And we know maybe we'll get the best work out of them because- yes. We're gonna we're gonna use this rivalry to our advantage. Well, so now redesigns start. They're like, well, wait a minute, we've got to make sure we we win this race. So so for Van Allen, right. he uh, he's doing the Chrysler Building. They added ten more stories to their to their plans. But now, uh, okay, because back in the day, once they say, hey, we're gonna build the world world's tallest building, they announce it to the press. Right. They want people to know about this. They want to create excitement. Well. Once the war started, Van Allen and Chrysler kept all their plans hidden from this point on. Yes, they did. So, well, okay, I had a couple questions about that anyway. But um, apparently, Severin's did not. They were they were happy to announce. So he's out there saying, you know, we're doing this. They added he added five stories, and he added like some sort of a pyramid and a flagpole, which was now going to bring this one to nine hundred and twenty-seven feet. So he just added a hundred and. Like uh, something, he, he added 109, whatever it is. So he added 119 feet. Okay, well, Alan, here's my here's my question. 118 feet, mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, don't correct my math, people. Okay, <laughs> Alan, you got to get permits for this stuff. You can't yeah. just say, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to add another 10 stories. I'm going to add whatever. Did they not have building permits back then? Well, they did all this stuff in secret. You, you know? had the finest inspectors money could buy. <laughs> Is that what was going on? Well, keep in mind. Like, all right. Now, keep in mind, you have two drastically different camps here. Right. You have a privately owned camp mm -hmm. in a borough with money and industry. And the building, the Chrysler building, where they're building it makes sense. Um, what do you mean by that? I didn't think because of that. Because it is an economic area. Chrysler's ego has this building being built. Right. Appropriately, where it should be in a proper area with all of the proper facts and fixings and other stuff. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you where they built the Empire State Building. Well, spoiler out. We didn't even mention the Empire State Building. Okay, folks, pretend Alan didn't say that. But no, that's true. We um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of poetry in this. There's a lot of. Uh, I kind of wanted to contribute to what you might call history's greatest middle finger. Oh gosh, okay, <laughs> Max, it is. It. But um, but what's interesting? Yeah, uh, all of this ugliness and mm. you know came crashing down. You could say, and we're oh, gonna and we're gonna continue worse. the drama when we come back. <laughs> You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at Newstalk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Gonna paint your wagon, gonna paint it fine. Gonna use oil-based paint cause the wood is pine. News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. Oh, I still like him. Max just loves to trigger me. You know, just because you're paid forty-seven to fill up the Bronco today. What the hell did you just say? No. It's because you're painting pine doesn't mean you have to use oil base. As a matter of fact, I would say there's no connection there at all. Yeah, but it sounded good. It's saying nice. Although, in fairness, uh, pine is very sappy, and the oil base will keep mm. it from bleeding through. But That's I true. wouldn't paint a wagon. I don't, whatever. Let's just get to it. <laughs>
And welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. Here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from DarkOakMedia.com and the ever-provocative Max over there behind the glass. Painting with pine. Exactly. No, painting with oil base. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And uh, we invite you to also go to the uh, Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and give us a like. Check out the action over there. And uh, we've posted links. We posted, uh, well, I posted a link to a video that's discussing uh, a really fascinating topic where we're going to jump right back into in our great moments in building history. And I also posted our must-have item of the week, which I we we strongly endorse. This is an item you, you definitely want, folks, the three-inch flat uh, chisel. Oh, very yeah. rugged, very destructive, and re- really handy. So, And I just want to remind people before we jump into our discussion, um, you can call or text us, you know, at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline uh, during the show, um, if you have, if you want to leave a voicemail for us, like if maybe there's something you want us to discuss, if it's outside of show hours, call 901-921-7105. But uh, you can still text us 24 hours a day at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling mm-hmm. Hotline. You can just, you know, uh, even send pictures. And so if you've got questions like our listener earlier who had questions about squirrel invasion, you know, get in touch hey. with us over there. So, well, Alan, this is interesting. Um off the air, I was like, okay, we better, we got a lot to cover here. We, uh, we're talking about basically, um, it was a battle between two former business partners who became bitter rivals, um, William Van Allen and H Craig Severins. Um, one was more artistic. One was a hardcore businessman, but they were both engaged on, um, um, Van Allen was building the Chrysler building, which I think Mm -hmm. is very familiar to people. It's got that art, art deco style spire. It looks like if a monster flew down, it was going to get impaled on this thing. Like you said, it's a beautiful building. And, uh, the more sensible, I guess you could say the more conservative looking building, the, uh, the 40 wall street, uh, Severins was hired to build that. And, and basically they started off almost exactly the same height. Mm -hmm. And once, and they were both commissioned to make the world's tallest building. And so they started, and, and, uh, once they learned that they were competing, they started adding things. They were adding, they added 10 stories. They were adding these spires. They Mm. added this, uh, um, you know, different features to make it as tall as possible. And so to, to cut to the chase, because there's actually a very interesting, uh, uh, thing that happened sideways here. (laughs) So Van Allen is doing the Chrysler building. They're keeping at this point, they're not announcing anything anymore. They're keeping all of their plans secret. And, um, the Severins was pretty sure they were going to win because they, in fact, they finished first. They, They um, and they, uh, Based on what you saw from the street, it's like, okay, well, we won this battle. Well, what they didn't know was that Van Allen and Chrysler had a secret weapon up their sleeves. They they had the building finished. I mean, they had the outside, you know, framed and everything. And then they took this 180-foot, uh, what they called the, the vertex. That's that big pointy spear yes. uh, at the top of the tower. And it's uh, it weighs like 20 tons, Alan. Can you yes. imagine trying to uh, assemble that? And it took about an hour and a half and people are watching from the street, and they put that up. And once they put that up, now this building was 1,046 feet, and it was the tallest building in Indeed. the world. And they won the battle. Until for a battle <laughs> and so they're both uh, they're they're feeling very smug. They're yeah. feeling and 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 there's something after uh, afterwards that happened that we're going to get into. But Alan, this is what was sort of hilarious about this whole thing. So for about six months, 
the Chrysler building was the tallest building in the world, but across town, something else was going on. 40 Wall Street held the record for about a week. Right, right, right. (laughs) And then Chrysler's like, yeah, did we you, got this. Did you enjoy that? Did Chry- you have a good time? Now watch what we're going to do. Chrysler was like, hold my beer. We and got, and yeah. here we go. Okay. And then, okay. So and they're then, the tallest building. All right. Yeah. And nobody has really paid any attention <laughs> to this completely stupid idea. Right. That we're going to build a great big giant building to revitalize the demilitarized zone over there on the other side. Hold, hold on. You, you because we didn't really touch on you said something before the break that you said Chrysler the Chrysler building was very sensibly located. It yes. was in the middle of a, a, it a was, dis, even 40 Wall Street was it was located in the right they zone. They were in the right areas where the economics were appropriate for this okay. and these guys were in the right you know they were where their people were so the building business from a business standpoint it should thrive people are going to want to go to this building right yeah they're okay. they're ready to go they're okay. ready to go so all right all right chrysler in spite of the fact that most of his business is like in detroit mm-hmm. he wants this building to be his edifice for his children and for all time. Yeah. So he builds it right there, and they're in the financial district. They're where they need to be. Sure. Well, (laughs) here comes government. And government goes, you know, what we really need to do is move some of these people over here where we don't have any money going on. Where real estate is cheap. (laughs) You know... So here we are where where New York didn't do any surveys. They didn't decide that we need another giant building because we got two going up, right? right? And keep in mind, Chrysler's business, he's not moving everybody to New York. He's just building a great big Chrysler building. Right. So it's going to need tenants. Sure. So here we go. 34th Street way away from 42nd and 50th Mm -hmm. is kind of no man's land. Sure. So the government got all the dirt for cheap. They've been quietly sitting over to the sidelines, letting these two duke it out. Right. And as their projects finished, everybody in the resources kind of moved down to the 34th Street location. And about six months later, everybody's sitting around for the designation of well the tallest building in the world yeah the empire state <laughs> building which sounds tall the empire state built that just sounds like a tall building they they built it six months later which to me is sort of they funny finished because, six months later because there wasn't a whole lot of talk about this uh, between the, no. the this rivalry going on and i'm like how do they not know what's but going they didn't on any over attention here because it was over there Okay. It wasn't up here where we're fighting it out. Well, the reason I thought this was interesting is because, okay, 40 Wall Street and then the neighborhood where the Chrysler building was. Well, the base of the building can only be so big. You can't just. Well, at the Empire State Building, they're buying up cheap real estate. They They could tear down 50 buildings and. And did. And make a big, wide base and And then make their thing tall. And what's interesting is the the Empire State Building. it, it it was it remained the tallest building for over four decades. Yes. It was and so um it's sort of interesting that these guys fought it out. They were going tooth and nail, and then I just want to give a little what happened to these guys. So basically Van Allen, this is a warning because we know a lot of artists. I know mm-hmm. this mentality here. Well, uh, uh, Van Allen never actually signed a contract with Chrysler. 
They no. had some sort of an agreement. They and when payday shake. came, when he was supposed to receive his $14 million, mm -hmm. which I don't even know what that is in today's money. That's quite a bit. Chrysler was like, oh, I don't think we agreed to that. And he basically didn't pay him. Nope. So he had to take him to court, which apparently destroyed his reputation because if you're an architect and you sue the person that hired you, you you're never going to work again, which he didn't. He never built another building. Now, right. I guess he got some of his money, but then he went in and he became a sculpture teacher. So <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, I'm done. done. And, then, and then Severin's apparently, he only built like one other building and then the Great Depression hit. And it hit him pretty badly, and then he passed away, sadly, in 1941. And so this big rivalry that they were going to tooth and nail at. Go ahead, Max. My so. question is, is how many construction workers died or fell to their deaths as a result of, of feeding these people's egos? Um, That's always the question. Uh, I don't actually, know. Actually, shockingly few. Yeah. Of, but because of... yeah. The, the trick is, is it's expensive to replace an iron worker. Well, so you don't want them falling off of stuff. Yeah. And of uh, there is also the legend with uh, Native Americans in that area that they don't suffer from vertigo. You said there was a lot of Native American workers on this. There I didn't were, I and, didn't know that. That's and that's because because of their unique genetics, they don't suffer they did not suffer from vertigo like you or I would. Cuz so okay. they made great iron workers and if you've watched any of the old newsreels it's absolutely horrifyingly terrifying to watch these people walk the iron with no safety straps. No, I mean, it's like an OSHA nightmare. Okay, because we've all seen that famous photograph where the guys are sitting up on the, uh, you know, they're sitting up on that I-beam yeah. eating their lunch. And I yeah. was like... Is that trick photography? Because no. I thought maybe there was something just underneath them. I even them, saw one where there was like a guy playing golf. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, well, I mean, could you imagine working that one slip, one lack well, of concentration? They had crazy daredevils and stuff. Balancing acts were the big thing in like vaudeville at the time. And if you wanted to be like the, the, the total bomb of yeah. vaudeville, you went and climbed up on top of one of these idiot things with a photographer and you went out on the edge of a piece of iron, and you balanced on a chair, and you dangled <laughs> up. On, you got a, some of the pictures of newsreels from this time. It's, are, hey, guys, watch this. Right, exactly. It is, your heart is just, you're going, no, one pigeon, and you're going a thousand gust feet wind. to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of macho stupidity back then. But, hey, you know, it. it, it All right, shockingly, Max, yes, there were terrible accidents. Shockingly fewer than you think. Probably less than the Brooklyn Bridge, right? You know, it's that I, one, I wouldn't have to look them up, but yeah, I mean, these people really had pride in what they were building. Yeah, I just, I just feel like there's this is more about human psychology, and boy, you know, just I, I just wonder what this did. There's to these a lot guys. of gotchas in this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like, like you know, and then I, I wonder about how Chrysler felt because he, he was all about I want the world's tallest building. Yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, he has an interesting looking building, but yeah. you know. Well, and then he's bested by the man. Right. Yeah. Well, and then, all right, let me throw in the twist of the Empire State Building okay. real quick. The twist is it was empty. Well, they stayed built empty. It. Yeah. For Because it was in the wrong part of town. Nobody wanted to go down there. And then there comes this article in the uh, New York Times about, hey, we, we paid for this giant empty building. So the management company got real slick and hired a crew to do nothing in the evenings except go all up and down the elevators and turn on and turn off different offices all up and down the building 
to make it look occupied. Yeah. And it worked. People thought people were in it, so businesses began moving in, and the rest is kind of history. I guess another publicity stunt, too, you might call this a publicity stunt, but one structure the Empire State Building I find rather fascinating is the very top of it. It was has what was called a mooring mast, yes. which is used for docking dirigibles or docking zeppelins. And although never one was never actually recorded to dock on it, they like photo they like photoshopped one, so to say, to make it look like there was one on there. But imagine what sort of reputation you get for that. Like, hey, we're docking the next generation of aerial vehicles here. Yeah. Oh, there I mean, was some serious bragging cool. rights going on with sure. these buildings. That era is sort of fascinating because I just have to wonder if, like, the Hindenburg didn't happen, would Zeppelin still be a, a thing for, for generations? Would Led know? Zeppelin be a thing? Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> what, what would they have put on the front of their uh, first album cover? But, no, I just <laughs> it's just interesting because this was the city of the future. I'll tell you, in the 30s, in that era, the 20s and the 30s, it was all about, they were talking about going to space. They were talking about the latest, uh, you know, craves and technology and everything. I, and so Ze a Zeppelin dock on your building, that's cool. Right, but they just would want that. picture, if you will... Of since most of the people in this country are basically of immigrant stock from somewhere. Sure. When you go back to the tens, twenties, and thirties of that of the twentieth century, can you picture as a normal everyday person from any number of countries on yeah. a boat coming into New York City? Sure. That had to look like you were landing on an alien planet. No kidding. I mean, a lot of like I, my own mother. She came from double, you know, from Tipperary, Ireland, where the tallest building she ever saw was like three or four stories, and then suddenly you're dealing with skyscrapers and massive. Here's this, you know. this, and it, and, and the other thing is, look at the size of this city. If you approached it kind of in the middle, like mm -hmm. a boat's coming in, right, and it's headed towards Ellis Island, you saw a city as far as you could see to the right. And as far as you could see to the left, and it went up. Sure. And, I mean, it had to look um, – it's, it's a picture. You can look at a postcard, but you cannot imagine the sense of wonder. Oh, I know. Anybody pulling into those harbors had to feel. When when I lived in Chicago, Alan, I used to uh, – we, we'd go to the Sears Tower, and, you, and, and we did this thing. I remember when we were kids. You get up to it. And you lean your, you know, you lean back against it and you look straight up and you're like, it just felt like it was just going forever. It never, yeah. You know, and it's like, gosh, you know, but anyway, very interesting. <laughs> that was a pretty extended great moment in building history. Was it great? I mean. I, They're still there. Great doesn't always mean good. <laughs> well, uh, you know, those or three, smart, those buildings you know? are still standing. They're still in function. They're still being used. And keep in mind, they weren't designed for the modern world. No, that's true. They've all had to be upgraded and they, you know, and they retrofitted. And they have. Yeah. Okay. Hey, let's shift gear. We, we we got more to get to. Okay. So we teased this about three, two or three weeks ago. Um, let's uh, the IKEA paradigm. Now <laughs> we like IKEA. I, I guess I don't want to get sued uh, or anything. But what do you mean by the IKEA paradigm? That was something you wanted to to bring up, and you you said this in a disgruntled sort of way. Well. Uh, you know, I've got to give massive marketing props to the IKEA Corporation. Yeah. That of knockdown furniture is now haute cuisine. Of it is the 
the ability. All right. Well, honestly, let's let's look at furniture. If you try to buy a try to buy a piece of furniture, it's bulky, it's big, it's huge, and it's difficult to ship. And it, yeah, yeah. you you basically buy it, and you got to find a way to get it home. So, right. right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, if you think about furniture in a traditional sense, well, here comes this company out of you know, let's just face it, not the marketing centers of the universe. Okay. A little Scandinavian company quietly of and very rapidly grew huge. Well, their basic premise, if I'm correct, is, okay, well, we're going to make all the components and you assemble it yourself. And there, there's, there's easy to follow it, directions it, it, and that saves them a ton of labor and storage. And, and shipping, you, because and shipping, now and we you, can you get, get the benefit of it. Right, you get everything in the box that we would have put together for you. And if you're sending a kid off to, um, if you're sending a kid off to college, the, you know they're going to have a few pieces of IKEA furniture. So you know. know, I find I find the the twist of buying new furniture that you have to build yourself in 2020. You know, guys, yeah. it's it's the future. We live in the future. If you don't believe we live in the future, look at your cell phone. When was the last time you actually spoke on it? Yeah. You know, it does everything else. It does your news. It does all this. So here we go back to the oldest school version of furniture. Mm -hmm. Basically, knockdown furniture. So that's what it's known as, knockdown furniture. It's knockdown furniture because it's in a box. It's knocked down. Here are the pieces to put together. And honestly, this is how furniture existed for thousands of years if you had to move, Joe, you took the chair apart, you threw it in the back of the wagon, and, you know, with all the other furniture, and you knew how to put it together when you got to where you were going. So what's your beef? I guess I'm I, get my, my, my paradigm with this is that as, as a lot of people have become less handy, oh, okay. we now have a furniture company selling a bejesus amount of furniture that you got to be handy to put together. Isn't that what's needed, though? Don't we need to get people more handy? I mean, we don't want to be general, but, uh, you know, it, I, there's less craftsmen around today. Right. There, there are far but, less people that are handy at doing stuff like this. To me, this seems like a good direction to go, then. But, to try to, well, you know, this is, but here's a company that has gone against every other trend on the planet and is delivering of, you know, a lot of product. Okay. I mean, a lot of product. And I mean beds, mattresses, furniture, chairs, couches. It comes in a box. Here you go. Here are the parts. Let's start putting this baby together. And I, I'm just kind of wondering for the IKEA fans. So I have a question for them. What about the IKEA furniture? What about the IKEA mistake? Not mistake. Mystique. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get what you're, you know, if people I want that. I am not that, a fan. I am not a fan. Okay. I am I am just terribly not a fan. So my question to our listening public all around the world, because the world's, uh, I was recently informed, the recently most published thing in the world is the IKEA catalog. Okay. They make like 200 million of them a year. Uh, see, this could be a point counterpoint because I personally think they're doing, they're providing a great service. They're getting us working with our hands and with tools. What do you think, Max? I mean, uh, I don't care. I just want to push the button. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to, I want to know what is this mystique about IKEA that makes it so popular? Okay. I think I see where I it don't is. get it. All right. I, I think don't I get, get it. it. 
Okay, I because I was like, what is what is Alan complaining about? I think it's the same way that there's almost look. Full disclosure, I have an iPhone. Right. We know the the almost cult like status of the people that follow Steve Jobs, like yes. he's the next you know Messiah or something. And so there is this sort of almost cult of of Apple. You could say. Yes. Well, do you feel like the same thing's going on with with oh, IKEA? Definitely. Well, who definitely? Cares? You know. Okay. You know, everybody's got their own fandom, I guess. Well, you so, know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm asking, what is this great mystique to please this? Please, gentlemen, allow me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't even know if it's worth the debate. Okay, I, I expected something uh, something more uh, contentious here, Alan. So, well, um, you know, well, well, let's get, you know. Well, if, we if, have people that I have to take to Home Depot to show them how to use a lawnmower. Okay. And their very first thought is, great, now we get to go to Ikea and get some furniture. Okay. And I'm all right. There's a dichotomy there that I'm not quite grabbing. I, I'm not grabbing this at all, Alan. Let's shift gear. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's, because we, we teased I, it and we're, we're very notorious for teasing stuff and then we run out of yep. time. So let's shift gears. We're in the Halloween, Halloween oh, season. Yes. Your and, house ain't um, haunted. And you, Mr. Buzzkill, you like to go with your friends on these ghost hunts. <laughs> uh, and we're not kidding, folks. Alan ha travels in some weird circles and. They're always there. They want to believe. They want to. They want to define the ghosts and everything. And you're there, Mister Buzzkill, to tell them, "No, your house isn't haunted." Yeah, you need an electrician. You not need an electrician. Exorcist. So yeah. is that? It, it, it's that time of year, Alan. Right. So well, okay. are you and I are in the business of decay? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess. You well, say to it. be honest, we we repair well, to, a know, lot of things, that's and true. we repair them because the fence got old. Right. The wood got water soaked. Something got into it. It yeah. needs to be repainted. It needs to be redone. So welcome to the science of how your house is falling down. Okay. And because things get loose and O-rings get old and, you know, if you got to jiggle the handle on the toilet, it's time for a new flapper. It might be time for a new fluid master. These are all of the little things that add up to those strange bumps and groans and things that go bump in the night. Well, I will say this. If you have a toilet that does the, if the flapper's wrong, what happens is the water starts to drain. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you get this little where the yeah. water's filling up. And if that comes through uh the wrong heating duct or something, the sound of it, yeah. it echoes. By the time it yes. gets to your kid's room, it sounds like a ghost in the walls or something. Yeah. So. Or, 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 yeah. you know, that that little tiny O-ring in your sink has gone bad, and right. now you got the knocking in the wall as the pipes jerk. Okay. I, I We probably ought to unpack this when we have more time, Alan, because uh, this one is actually interesting, and maybe we could do that. Maybe next week, the sight, sounds, and smells of a... Of a decaying house of your or decaying something. decaying home. Yeah. Your home is slowly dying and so are you. Happy <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do any better than that. That's pretty, I, I, that's pretty good. You know, so. that's why we have him over there. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. What a weird episode this has been. So, But uh, weird or not, folks, it's in the can. And uh, if you want to check it out, uh, go to go to uh, tooltalkradio.com and hear all our past shows. Alan, we didn't even plug our stuff. It's we'll okay. Next week. Anyway, we're out of time, so it's time to get out of here. On behalf of my buddy Alan Gilbreth and our pal Max over there behind the glass, I'm Joe Thorderson. Thanks for listening to Tool Talk Radio, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>